1: hey everyone welcome to another episode of behind the message with jason
2: and chris and jason
1: all right all right we have made it to week two of the giving series um and there was like five people in the first service on sunday (laughs) and i thought all right i already lost them all like (laughs) but they all came to the second um which it was cold i get it but And I don't want to dismiss, I'm sure there were people that were like, hey, I was in the first service, do I not count? You do, I'm just saying. I was there. Um, oh yeah, you were there. Were you there? Chris was keeping them 10 to 20 people safe in that sanctuary. Um, it filled out a little more, I mean not much, but like compared to right when they started. <laughs> but anyways, um, alright, well... It's been a snowy week, and um I don't know i there's parents online that are telling me to enjoy it, but we've got work to do, and the kids are are getting a little they were fun the first day now they're they got some cabin fever um so at what they were gone- they were out of school monday snow day tuesday snow day today they're on a current two hour delay for tomorrow and if snow does come tomorrow night, they'll be out Friday. And I know there's one person at this table that's okay with that.
2: I'm good with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, so I thought just just if anyone had one, what's your favorite snow day memory as a kid? Chris, you got any?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, we had some friends down the road that they had like a lot of land and Uh, big slopey land you know Mm -hmm. we could go we would go over and sled and toboggan down the hill and stuff I I think one time they even rigged up like a small motor to like pull us up the hill so we had to keep walking up oh yeah Um, but I don't know I was also when you asked you asked this question I started thinking about it I don't know if it's true or not or if y'all have the same uh, recollection but I I felt like there was a lot more snow when I was younger and there was like and, and when it did snow there was all it was like Deeper, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's true. Or not, I think, but
1: I, just feel like I it. think Let's, this is now the second podcast of 2024 that we're going to start talking about global warming. Yeah. Everyone, buckle <laughs> I was in. not trying to go there. It I just, don't know. I think you were, you were hinting at that. No. Right? Anyone else feel like the Earth is getting warmer? Then I was whatever.
0: just hinting at. I don't know if my memories. Are I do
1: correct. remember because. Th- I mean, we had it in Kentucky, and y'all, it came here. There was that, like...
2: 93.
1: Yeah, the big yeah. blizzard that, that came through. That, I mean, even you know, before then, though. I, yeah.
2: Yeah, there was a lot. It seemed like there was a lot more Yeah. as a kid.
1: Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, I don't know if Ted Cruz agrees, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm just, <laughs> just You see... Never mind. I'm not going to get political. <laughs> never mind. I'll tell you later. Um, all right, Baker, you got any good snow day memories?
2: Um, when I was really young, we actually owned a farm. We lived on a farm, so sledding was a big thing. And then going out, we had a horse and then we had a colt when I was a kid. Oh, wow! So just watching them out playing in the snow that was pretty cool. Man, y'all had, so I don't really
1: have that cool of memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, I, I think I mentioned the baker, there was, um and I'm sure it happened here. There was an ice storm. We, had, we were out for like a week and the, our house had no electricity but our friend's house on the street did. So my family stayed with them and we just played video games the whole week. <laughs> I, was a life, I was lifeguarding at the time. I went to the rec center and they were like a, a shelter. I walked in for work and there's cots, like, in the entrance, and they're like, we don't need you. Go home. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I played video games all week. Um, I do Now that you all mentioned that, uh, I think in junior high or high school, my, friend, my friend's family was from Henry County, Kentucky, and we went up, and uh, his dad had this old Bronco. And we would hook up a chain to the back of the Bronco with this plastic sled, and he would just drive us around this farm. <laughs> like uh, it was fun as a kid. Looking back on it, you're like that could have. That's the kind of stuff that ends up on the news that you know ended up getting run over by a friends Bronco. But anyways, snow day memories. Um, they don't make them like they used to. So, but let's keep praying that the kids. Go to school tomorrow and Friday. I think they need it, right? Education's important, right, yeah, Baker? Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we are looking at Philippians four, um, the whole for the whole series. It's ten through twenty, um, and then I, I read ten through thirteen, but we really focused on eleven through thirteen on Sunday. So Philippians four, eleven through thirteen, with the question. When will we be content um, Fortner yep why did Paul say he wasn't in need when he was sitting in prison? I think that's that kicks off in verse eleven, I believe
0: he has learned to be content in every situation, yeah, um, but the key message is verse thirteen that he can endure and find contentment in any situation uh, through the strength provided by God
1: yeah. So basically, I mean, basically, he's not saying he doesn't have needs. He's, he, there's something greater going on there. And right. I, I probably will mention on Sunday, there's other verses talking about how people gave to his needs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, something else is going on here. And, and at least in a generic sense, yeah. Beggar, what, what, what does being content mean?
2: Contentment means that my satisfaction is independent of my circumstances and completely dependent upon Christ. Uh, it's founded in our focus on the present promise of God and that he will be with us and also founded on the future future eternal promises, um, not focused on our temporary desires in this life. Mm-hmm. So um, it's something that we have to learn. I don't think it's something that comes naturally. Um, at Hebrews 13, 5, it says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So regardless of what we have in this life as far as earthly possessions, we have the promise from God that he will always be with us. That's good.
1: And that Greek word on Sunday, I I tried to say it, but I think it's artarkis. And I think I botched it in the first service. Second service, as I'm saying it, I'm like, I think I said it better this service than the last (laughs) service. But, I mean, it simply just means sufficient. And um, I, I, when I took one of my Greek classes at Moody, I had to, like, record myself reading Greek and submit mm-hmm. it for the professor, and I've always been haunted. Like, there's proof of that. Like, I'm going to end up on a TikTok somewhere, like, look at this guy trying to read, like, Koine <laughs> Greek. <laughs> just can't do it at all, but I'm um, just my dumb self trying to read it, but... All right, well, let's go through the points here. When will we be content? Point one, we will be content when we are humbled.
0: All right, Jason Payne, first question for you. How was Paul humbled by Christ?
1: I would first say Christ humbles him and us because uh, the way Christ humbled himself for us, uh, which you'll talk about here in a minute, Chris. Uh, But since we understand the gospel, the calling of the Christian is to humble themselves. Uh, it's First Peter 5, uh, 6 through 7. I think I did read this one on Sunday. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So if we ever want to be exalted, um, and I'll take that to the extreme, if we ever want to be lifted up, from the eternal grave we must humble ourselves to the point of death to self like we die to self pick up our cross and follow christ Um, so that that is certainly the initiation of paul being humbled Uh, christ since christ humbled himself paul must humble himself and paul can't properly understand just the humbleness that life can bring sometimes, without the lens or seeing that through the gospel, um, which I guess will lead to your question: How is Christ our ultimate example of humbleness, Fortner? All
0: right, uh, we got Jesus chose to take on a human form and live among humanity. A. Is that what the chosen's about? No. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, have Mark 10:45. Uh, for the Son of Man or sorry sorry, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, if we look at John chapter 13, one through seventeen, I'm not going to read it, but we have the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Uh, Jesus' humility is on full display in this story. Uh, but the ultimate act of humility can be found in Jesus' uh, sacrificial death on the cross. Uh, Jesus willingly suffered and died for the sins of humanity, um, demonstrating selfless love and humility.
1: All right. All of that's good. All of that sets us up to, I think, really what Paul's getting at in the text. I don't think, as Paul wrote that, um, how to be brought low, he's talking about, hey, let me go through um, the gospel that I mentioned earlier in the Philippians too. Um I think he is just simply talking about life has humbled him. So how has Paul humbled by his situation, which we all deal with sometimes?
2: Um, first of all, he's riding from prison. Um, yeah. He's completely dependent on other believers from the outside to supply his needs of food, clothing, etc. Um, of course, I mean, in Philippians 4:10 through13, he talks about being brought low. He talks about being hungry being in need. So he knows all of these physical needs. Um and that's, you know, through those God has taught him to be content. But I also think from this passage, he was humbled by the faithful support and service of the church mm-hmm. in Philippi. Um and I can't help but think he has to be thinking just despite his imprisonment, how many times the guy was imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, God was still using him to further the gospel to minister to others I mean just thinking about the reach of the ministry that Paul had you know that's got to be a humbling experience just even to think about God using him in that way
1: yeah even just you talking about that I think and we'll see that um, in the next two weeks too in the text but like isn't is it not humbling to be financially supported or to be supported by someone else like when i talk with missionaries that's and they're looking for financial support they always they're they're squirmy i mean i don't know how else to put that like they're just you can tell like they're uncomfortable because it it's humbling i'm sure to be like hey i need x amount of dollars to keep this ministry going and and we're not there yet so no that's good
0: Next question for you, Jason Payne. In what ways does comparison
1: kill contentment? All right, I'm going to take this both directions here. First, um, let's say you don't have very much. Uh, you're struggling physically, emotionally, financially right now. Uh, what does comparison do in that moment? So if, you, if, you're, if life has brought you low right now, what will comparison do in that moment? Um, It will do many things, but I would say it kills any level of gratitude for what you have right now. You aren't pondering on the ways that God has blessed you. You're obsessing over the ways that God has blessed someone else. So comparison kills contentment in many ways, but certainly because at first it just kills your gratitude. Like You you can't even be thankful for the blessings around you, Um, which... No, I won't give that biblical example. I'll get confusing. All right. Um, all right. Well, it does work the same thing the other way. Uh, there is, a, I, would, I will say, and I didn't mention this Sunday because it can get pretty convoluted, but there is a healthy level of comparison um, in life. We all do it. And I think there's a level of like, you just want to know where you stand on certain things or um, even the church. Like, where's our church stand? I mean, um, I don't, if I meet with other pastors, um, the comparison is not, well, how many people do you have in your church? And I'll tell you how many people I have in my church. I don't think that's healthy, but the comparison is is like, oh you're dealing with problems too. I'm dealing with problems. Like there there is a healthy level of that. Um but I'd say just just to be aware that you've when you have much, that you've been blessed by the Lord with abundance, um The problem is is we usually compare to someone who has even more than us. Like there's always someone healthier than you. There's always someone richer than you. Uh, There's always someone that has something newer than you. So it drives this desire. When we have plenty, when we have abundance, this desire to want more and more and more. It's just never enough, which Baker will talk about here in a minute. Um, But there is a healthy level of comparison. I do get that. But our selfish hearts very quickly often use those comparisons to kill the contentment with the blessings that we have right now, right now. So there it is. There's a little bit longer of, of an answer, but when will we be content? Point two, we will be content when we have much. Chris, in what ways did Paul have plenty and abundance? Well, Paul was
0: a highly educated Pharisee, you know, at first. Um, Yep. So, you could look at that. You know, he had an advantage uh, status, comes probably with that. Um, At times during his missionary journeys, Paul received support and provisions from different Christian communities. Um, Paul was a tent maker by trade, uh, which served as a means for him to support himself financially, Uh, this Skill allowed him to be uh, self sufficient during certain periods of his ministry. So. Yeah,
1: I'd have to do some research, but I, 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 there were some hints that like Paul walked into ministry with money, you know. Yeah. So, not that he didn't have needs at times to be financially backed, but he walked into uh, these missionary journeys with his own money. So I don't know. Maybe it certainly checks out. Alright, so the question I alluded to earlier, why is abundance often more dangerous than not having much?
2: i um, got First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is the... Th- hey, it I'm going to read that later. Hey. Go ahead, sir. It is <laughs> through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So money itself isn't necessarily evil, but what comes from our hearts, you know, our desire for it. Um, and also, this might kind of be a stretch, but from the parable of the sower and seeds, uh, did Mark 4, 18 through 19, it talks about the seeds uh, that fell among the thorns. It says, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Um, Also, thinking about the rich young ruler, I think
1: I'm going to read that in a minute. Yeah. All right. Great minds. (laughs) Great minds. Jason and Jason.
2: (laughs) Um, But just thinking about you know that desire. First of all, I think when we have it, um, you know, it can lead to us feeling that we don't need to be dependent upon God. Yeah. It's a false independence. But also, you know having some just makes us want more because that's never going to fulfill um, that spot in our lives that really only God can fulfill Yeah. so it's only temporary
1: yeah that's that's really good I should have now that you said that that's a good passage to have read on Sunday like why is it so dangerous like Jesus tells you like he tells you it can choke the word out of your life so mm all right. Uh, is it
0: wrong to have plenty or be rich?
1: All right. Let me first say this: If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're already rich. Unless we got some of our international fans. I don't know if those are still around right now. Maybe they don't. But um, I mentioned this to Bo after the second service. We were talking about the the passage, and um, I told him like I didn't really make this point, but as Americans. For the most part, we already have much. We already have much. I mean, you got a phone, smartphone, laptop you're listening to this on? A lot of people don't have that. Um, have you eaten today? You you got a lot more than most people. Um, all of us, there's three of us here. We drove here. Most people don't have a car at all. Chris knows what that's like sometimes. <laughs> but he drove over <laughs> Lexi he drove over here. <laughs> Almost didn't make it. Almost, yeah. but um, I mean, just the there's just so many blessings we have in America that I I think when we we think like what well, is it wrong to have plenty or be rich we're immediately thinking in someone else. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it's probably you. Jesus, the scripture's talking about us in here. We we are incredibly materially blessed. Um, so, rich rich young ruler, you mm-hmm. brought it up. Let me read it this is Luke 18 starting verse 18 a ruler asked him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good except God alone you know the commandments do not commit adultery do not murder do not steal do not bear false witness honor your father and mother and he said all these I've kept from my youth and Jesus heard this he said to him one thing you still lack Sell all that you have distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven And come follow me. Let me clarify, um, that doesn't negate the gospel. Jesus is going after this guy's heart. He's not creating some legalistic view of what it means to come to heaven. Um, So, But when he heard these things, super sad passage, uh, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is. For those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The plenty and the abundance, they, they numb our heart for the greatest desire, which is the all-sufficient Christ. So it's dangerous because we keep, like especially today, we keep feeding that desire until kingdom come. And then find ourselves in an eternal hell. Um, and I, I heard a, a pastor talk about that. Like King Solomon, after all the riches and wisdom and everything in the world, finally hit rock bottom and was like, it was all vanity. and what It's worthless. Uh, you got to fear the Lord. And the danger today is there's enough toys and trinkets, you'll never hit rock bottom. Like, there's always something new to watch on netflix disney plus <laughs> hbo whatever there's always something to to numb that desire for the all-sufficient christ and i've quoted this before um i'll quote it again now and in the future i'm sure but Leah, c.s lewis <laughs> c.s lewis put it like this our desires <laughs> are not the problem our desires are too weak so he says this our desires are not too strong but too weak we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So to his point is like, the desire is not wrong. The desire is too weak. So it's too temporary. All right. So, all that being said, what does verse 13 really mean, Chris? Because I never got to start on the Kentucky Rockers baseball team. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus did not make me a good enough baseball player. Well, you're obviously asking because I know
0: it's shockingly that this verse can be taken out of context. <laughs> um, Paul's comment is specifically referring to the ability of um, believers to endure under hardship and persecution. Uh, Despite well-meaning use of the words, uh, this text does not teach that a Christian is empowered to accomplish any task simply because they are saved. Um, If you look at all, Philippians 4, 10 through 20 describes how Christians can overcome worry and worldly desires regardless of their circumstances um, by making a powerful decision to be content. A believer can trust God to provide our true needs and not be consumed with materialism or anxiety. Uh, Paul joyfully declares his confidence that God will allow him to endure anything.
1: Yeah, and I I didn't want to get too much into this on a Sunday. I don't think it's wrong that we use that as like that's your verse and you love that. I don't and I think it's a good verse for athletes, but if you use it in the correct context. Yeah. So it's not I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's gonna give me enough strength to be the best basketball player I'll ever be and beat this team. It's no, he gives you the strength when you lose to do To be content with that, mm-hmm. he gives you the strength to sit on the bench when you feel like I'm better than whoever's playing right now. Like, can you be content with that right now? That again, we're talking about. It doesn't mean you're not trying to get better. Right. But like, can you be content because you're? You're content in Christ in every situation. So that's, that's a really good thing, especially for athletes to think through, as long as we use that in the correct context. Um, and I certainly did not view that way when I had it on the inside of my baseball hat. <laughs> hey, I was a young man. What do you do? All right, where are we at? Point three. Oh, point three. We will be content through Christ. How does Christ give us strength to be content?
2: Um, I think it's a reminder that He is ever-present with us. Um, you know, Scripture time and time again reminds us of His promises. Um, I think clinging to those and when we go through things in life. Um, and like I said earlier, I think becoming content is something that God teaches us. Uh, Paul learned contentment through hardships and in good times. Um, you know, even thinking about things like poverty, illness, persecution, Hunger, all of these things you know can be something really difficult to go through, but God can use those situations and his presence with us through those to teach us to become content in his presence and in his word um, you know he's He's always with us, he's never going to abandon us, so I'm not going to say it's something that's easy for us to do, mm-hmm. but um It was clinging to him and, you know, realizing that Christ is with us and, you know, the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts during those times uh, as as a reminder that God is with us. That's good. Uh,
0: Is it wrong to work hard for a better life?
1: So that was coming from, you know, contentment is not complacency. Um, so I would say, I hope not, because I've tried to work hard for a better life. Um, and But I, I think it's helpful to have some scripture to process that. You referenced this earlier in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. So Paul is saying, like, if we have food and clothing, with these, we'll, we will be content. That's not an exhaustive list, um, but a reminder of, of Paul. what Paul's getting at. Like, if we have these essentials, if we have proper food, proper clothing, housing, etc., like, if we have these essentials, then just be content with that. I think so many of us um, might have some essentials, but they aren't adequate for our needs. So work hard. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, if you're, you're like, I don't, we, you know, we'd like to eat healthier as a family and we're struggling to afford that. And I'm like, I don't, like, work hard, hustle, make money, save money, pay off debt. Work hard so you can live out verse eight with confidence. Um, so work hard for a better life. Like, I wouldn't be here without. People, my family in the past, before me, doing that. They worked hard to get, like, so I could be where I'm at right now. Um, Okay. Well, sometimes when you work hard. Now, not everyone. But sometimes when you work hard, you find yourself wealthier than others. All right. Or sometimes people just... You just inherited that money. I don't know. But we'll talk about it. The application's still the same. <laughs> but sometimes you work hard and you find yourself wealthier than others. Again, that's not a bad thing. I'm going to go back to First Timothy verse 6, verse 17. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, which richly provide us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for their future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's a ton to talk about that in that verse, but let me just boil it like, down like this. Paul doesn't say, stop being rich. okay? Um, he goes after the heart, which is exactly what Jesus does. Now, to the rich young ruler, he doesn't say, hey, stop being rich. He just says, sell so what you have and give to the poor. Mm-hmm. Because that's, he's going after the heart. So I'd say, if you're rich, which a lot of us, again, as Americans we are, but let's just say you're extra wealthy as an American. If you're rich, then be rich in good works. If you're rich in this present age, then as hard as you work to make that money, then work harder, work more. have a more of a focus to work hard at being righteous and generous. That will reveal your heart. So again, there's, there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with having money. Um, but Jesus, and, and Paul alludes to here in First Timothy, it's like, no, we're going to talk about not just your future. We're going to talk about an eternal future. And we're not gonna talk about your life. We're gonna talk about something that's truly life. So, yeah, work hard at being generous. Work hard at being righteous. So but I don't want anyone to feel guilty for having money or a bigger house than others or blah 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 blah. I mean, again, comparison ain't help helpful. <laughs> so all right, boiling it down, why is Christ enough? This is a long one. Hang right. with me. Buckle in. All right
0: come and find your hope (laughs) now in jesus he is all he said he would be grace is overflowing from the savior's heart rest here in his wondrous peace continues oh the goodness the goodness of jesus satisfied he is all that i need may it be come what may that i rest all my days in the goodness of jesus of course that's the lyrics Hey, the goodness of Jesus, which is city, sung by City of Light.
1: Yeah, all right, good. I thought, I was, sorry, I thought you were going to make a global warming. Oh, that, no, right? <laughs> you're fun. No, you're fine. No, this is good.
0: I um, also have First Timothy two, five, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And everybody knows John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There are many more songs, verses, and stories that I could share as to why Christ is enough. But Jesus is enough to save us. Jesus is enough to provide for us. Jesus is enough to bless us, to equip us. And to strengthen us, Jesus is
1: enough. There it is. So. Mike dropped. There's week four of the message summed up, summarized. So you want to preach? The last week, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah. I guess the question is, like, do y'all do we even believe that? That's what, I had a meeting this morning, and it was like we keep saying that kind of stuff, but do you believe it? Is Christ enough? Like. Is he enough, or is he almost enough, and then we got to have everything else work out? That's not the sufficiency of Christ or his word. So that was good. I was like, what is he reading? And I I caught it at the end. I was like, okay, that's City of Light. So as
0: soon as I read that question, that song popped in my head. And goodness I like, of Jesus.
1: I got another album I need to send. I'll send to you. Okay. All right. All right, well, we must be content in every circumstance. That's your main point. That's Paul's main point. Um, we have, maybe we should do this. We're going to do this sporadically when I can't think of a concluding question. <laughs> so, What was your favorite moment from worship this past weekend? And when I say worship, it just mean that Sunday, gathering together for, for church. What was your favorite moment from last weekend? Chris. I
0: had security so successfully
1: keeping everyone safe was there my you. favorite moment. <laughs> good. I'm glad you didn't say, like, I shot someone in the parking lot. <laughs> like, oh man, Put someone down. Just, just no. hearing that. No. Okay.
0: Yeah, I really wasn't in service at so all. Okay. Well, yeah, you were. I mean, I can yeah. Hey, you were, didn't you speak in both I, services? I did the announcements. You did the announcements? Yeah. It was not my favorite moment though, sorry. I thought you well, I'll say this and I,
1: I haven't told you this privately, but like let's say for the podcast. <laughs> like I thought I thought you've done really well. And it, it almost like it just because it's not me and it's someone else coming up to do it, it almost it it forces us all to think through the importance of it. Or it's just it's just more clear to be honest. So I thought it's been good, man. Good. All right, Baker, favorite moment? <clears throat>
2: um, Actually, at the end of the service, just knowing some people that were sick and checking on them and talking with them and then, uh, you know, they checking and see how Karina was. So just the fellowship of, you know, just making sure we're all okay and, you know, letting each other know we're praying for each other. Um, and then, of course, always, you know, one of my favorite parts is God's word and I think this last Sunday was a big challenging message for for the church for myself so
1: yeah I um, well you all know this but one of the things we've intentionally tried to do hey by the way remind me when this ends remind me to tell you something about prayer in church I forgot. I should have told the elders, but it's a good thing, just so you know. Um, But I've challenged the prayer team. Uh, Karina brought it up. I challenged the staff, and they're like, look, before you leave on a Sunday, if you're comfortable and, you know, even if you're not comfortable, just try to step outside your comfort zone. It's like just talk with someone and ask how you can pray for them and then pray with them right there. Mm -hmm. And... I prayed with someone at the end of the first service, and that that's, it takes a lot of initiation. Sometimes people, I mean, last week, it usually most weeks, someone will come up and be like, hey, can you pray for me for this, and then I can do it. But even if they don't, and I can just see how their week's going or whatever, I just ask, hey, can I pray with you over that right now, and... I've been turned down before, but, you know, not often. I think just because it's the preacher, they don't want to say no to the preacher. But um, I just pray with him right there. And anyways, I at the end of maybe the first service, I got done praying with someone, and I saw Isaac, our worship guy. He was in the standing in the back praying for people, and I thought that's good. I, that's what Easter River Park needs to be more of. Uh, we just when we gather. Like, you can gather online and watch a message or listen to me, you can, and we post it online, but you can't experience that of being together, praying one-on-one with each other. That forces the congregation to gather. So, anyways, that was a my favorite moment from this past weekend. That and Chris doing announcements. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who wants to pray? We're done. Brother, after all that prayer talk, you all just Yeah, you you have to like if Karina listens to this (laughs) and you didn't volunteer to pray, she's gonna she's coming after you.
2: She knows where I live. She does. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to to dig a little deeper into your word. Um I just pray that you continue to teach us uh, contentment in our lives, whatever the situations may be, that we learn to cling more to you, to your promises, be more aware of your presence in our lives, Lord. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.